My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text PODCAST to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit CompeteEveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. Being kind doesn't mean being nice, and it doesn't mean you're a pushover either. That is part of today's conversation with my friend Adam Zuckerman as we talk about the employee experience, what it means to be a kind leader, and why being kind still means you hold people accountable. You speak the truth, and you hold them to that standard. It's not about being a pushover. It's not about being just nice all the time. It's about doing the best thing for them because you care about their direction. Today's a fun chat as we talk about culture. We talk about work from home and in office. We talk about the employee experience and why the winning companies of tomorrow have shifted their focus from the leader focus, from customer focus to the employee focus, and why that's vital to both the leader and the customer at the end of the day. Adam is the product leader and employee engagement software at Willis Towers Watson in Chicago. He is incredibly active on LinkedIn, which we've linked here in the show notes. So it is a great person to connect with and learn as he talks a lot about leadership and employee engagement as well as employee experience. But regardless of whether you are the CEO of your major business, your small business, or you are manager just getting started on your leadership journey, this episode is going to have something important for you in terms of investing in the people around you and why that matters. As we dive into the show and welcome Adam in, I want to first encourage you to join our leadership group on the Morning Text Club. All you got to do is text the word LEAD, L-E-A-D, to 972-945-9113. If you're already in the Morning Motivation Club, that'll add you to our leadership group. And if you're not in the club yet, it'll add you in to both the Morning Motivation Club and that leadership thread where I send out one to two times a week some thoughts on leadership. You'll get a voice memo, you'll get a text, maybe you'll get a video, but all designed to encourage and help you better lead others to make a bigger impact on those around you. So all you got to do, text LEAD to 972-945-9113 to get started. And now let's welcome to the show my friend and my man, Adam Zuckerman. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be with you today. My my longtime LinkedIn friend, finally getting a little FaceTime connection. I, I I think the only way I can kick this off is how do you define a great employee experience? Because I would imagine the old school way of thinking is you have a job you don't get fired from and you get to retire one day. What else could you ask for? But there's a lot more to that, especially in today's world that goes into an employee experience other than not getting fired and retiring. So when you think about it, because I know this is something you're passionate about, what does that even mean to you? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think not too long ago, uh, that was the case. Uh, and luckily, things have evolved. Uh, today, I consider uh, an employee-focused organization, uh, which is sort of the most evolved organization, the kind that will be successful in a sustainable way, uh, to be an organization where employees feel heard, valued, believed in, and inspired. Those are kind of the four hallmarks for me 
uh, of, of an organization that is really employee focused. And, you know, not too long ago, um, being an employee focused organization was sort of unheard of, right? Back in the day, most organizations are what I call leadership focused. They were all about pleasing leaders, right? Yeah. There was an elite group of leaders. They knew everything. They weren't to be questioned. And, and that was what organizations were all about, right? Um, that, that was a bad idea then, and it's a bad idea now, terribly misguided, came out of sort of steep organizational hierarchies, you know, the kind of madman era, uh, the sort of paternalistic leader uh, era. Do you think uh, a lot of that also was influenced? Like, we got so in love with the founders of like the startup scene and how the media ran with it. And you had, and I can't even blank on her name in the Netflix documentary that had supposedly the magic pill. And, you know, we work and all of these other organizations were so obsessed with the person at the top instead of how the person at the top treated everyone else. Totally agree. Uh, you know, I, I think every leader should have a have a small sign on their desk that says, I'm not Steve Jobs, uh, because the kind of idolizing of the, the founder, the visionary founder, I mean, there's tremendous value in that and it's motivating and inspiring. Um, but it's, I think absolutely has gotten uh, carried away. Um, and so, so that's a kind of leadership focus. And then another kind of focus that I've seen is, is customer focus, which I think is better than leadership focus. It's more evolved. There's no business without customers. Um, but it too is imperfect. You know, we can, we can go the extra mile for customers, but, you know, erode the health and well-being of our employees and, and the community and the environment. And so that has to be uh, balanced as well. And of course, there's Henry Ford's famous saying, if I gave customers what they wanted, I would have given them a, a faster horse. That's so, right. Right. So, so, so there's leadership focus, there's customer focus, but to me, the most evolved is, is employee focus. And that's where you really recognize that employees are, they're not just the lifeblood of the company, they are the company. Um, it's like being a seed focused farmer, you know, no seed, no crop. Uh, what's good for employees is good for business. Uh, and the best organizations in the world today realize that and are focused on on the employee. Well, you think about that, uh, your your biggest brand advocates, your best recruiters, your best marketers are your employees. And if you don't treat them as your first and most important audience, they're not going to treat your customers as a very important audience because almost like any relationship, you know, we learn how to treat, our spouse by watching it, how our parents treated each other. A lot of sense, like we pick things up. And so if we preach about the importance of our customers, but we treat our teams like crap, they're going to ultimately treat our customers like crap, regardless of what we say, because talk is cheap. Totally. The, the, I think the most uh, obvious way to see it is, is how employees will treat customers. You know, if, if it's, if employees are treated better, they treat customers better, but also they're less likely to leave, even if they're not in customer-facing roles. And departures, of course, are expensive, but they're also just more likely to work hard. They just work harder when they're treated better. Uh, and so, I mean, we've proven uh, uh, in the last 20 years, beyond the shadow of a doubt, it can be defined in multiple ways. But in general, when you treat employees better, uh, your business does better. That's pretty much non-controversial uh today and plus there's another reason beyond just being better for business it's also you know the right thing to do you know employees are humans they and are. and they spend a lot of time working and you know if you're not enlightened enough to treat animals well you should at least be you know enlightened enough to treat people well and so to me it's sort of i spend most of my time with clients not 
not trying to to get them to understand you know why they should create employees well but how to do it right um how do they become uh employee focused um they've usually most organizations today are already they already get the why it's how do we do it so here's i got a couple of questions and directions i want to go with you one one of which i'm fascinated by of you work with a lot of engineers and the traditional stereotypical engineer is like let me just focus on what i'm creating what i'm working on like they're focused on the work versus sometimes that end user. And you think about it from a, a very different personality a lot of times than certain sales individuals or different creatives. And I'm curious from that perspective, the stereotype is there for a reason. However, it's not always accurate. When we have people who don't really think about the customer, they're just like, let me focus on what I'm doing technically. Let me do it well. Everybody else leave me alone. How do we get those people engaged to think about the broader ecosystem of an organization and the customers it impacts? Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, um, employees are very different by by function is kind of the one you're pointing out here. Yeah. But also, you know, different stages of their careers, working in different parts of the world, um, what they value and, and how they think can be really different. And so that's why I'm so keen on on listening. The first step on creating an employee-focused organization is helping employees feel heard. And the way you do that is to listen. And um, whether it's engineering- And this is not like, hey, take an anonymous survey that's not really anonymous. We got <laughs> so, your opinion. Well, so there's a couple of different ways. I'm so glad you brought that up. So there's a couple of different ways. So one is you know, listening in, in small groups individually to employees. And that comes down to sort of the, I think, the, the skill and will of the leader. Um, to me, they're the, 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 the important parts of the will. The skill is relatively straightforward. You can get the skills on, on YouTube, you know, how to, how to be a good active listener. It's, it's believing in the value of it that I think is really critical for leaders. Um, recognizing that listening is not just about gathering information. It's about validating people and connecting with them. Once you really get that, then, then I think the skills fall into line and you can do that individual listening in a way that employees feel heard. But then there's also listening at scale, which is about employee surveys. And, and I've seen them used poorly and I've seen them used to great success. And there's some really important things that you want to try to do when you listen at scale to employees. Um, and, and, and that's really important because individual conversations are great, but they don't scale. And for, for you know large organizations, especially where you want to look at opinions rather dispassionately. You want to benchmark them so you can measure them over time. You want to see how they link to other outcomes. Surveys can be a really valuable tool. So let me ask you on that note, because you'd mentioned it, what is like one thing you've seen that has made them very effective and one thing that's made them flop? Well, first of all, they they have to be, uh, since you mentioned the anonymity issue, it's a really good point. They They have to be confidential. And I'm using that word intentionally because because we mix it up with anonymity, but there is an important distinction. So, you know, confidential is um, it's possible to tell who's who, but we're going to treat that information, you know, very carefully. And no one who shouldn't know is going to be able to find out like your manager. Right. If employees don't believe that a survey is confidential, they're not going to respond or they're not going to respond truthfully. Um, so that's real bad. And there's some things you can do to make sure the process is confidential and, and more importantly, to make sure employees believe that. Um, so we can talk about that, but, but, the, but surveys today are rarely anonymous. So I avoid that word. 
anonymous meaning that it would be impossible to tell who's who, right? Um, the the, the survey is done in such a way that it's no one could possibly tell. Um, only then, if you have that sort of setup, can you claim it's anonymous. And that's very rare today for the simple fact that for, for survey data to be actionable, you want to know where the opinions are coming from, right? You want to know what department, what location, what job level, et cetera, et cetera. And um, even if you only combine that information in careful ways, it's theoretically possible that someone, if they had all the data, could combine it in a way that could isolate individuals. So we usually don't say it's anonymous. We do say it's confidential. And then we, we help clients to sort of articulate and act in ways that ensure that confidentiality. And it's, it can be hard to do, but I've seen it work. Over time, you can build up the trust, and really it is about trust, uh, to where you get really rich and valuable information that you can act on to improve the employee experience. That also sounds like it's required for the leader, uh, the head of the organization or the people reviewing all the results to set aside their ego, especially when there is negative feedback of like, who is that? We need to have a talk with them to really being open to your point originally of that listening of being open to hearing that feedback and then honest enough with themselves to evaluate, is there a better way I can coach? Is there a better way we can do this? Versus what happens a lot of time is that defensive front goes right up. The leader's like, well, that's the problem. It's that department. Get rid of them versus actually utilizing that information to help better the organization and the employee experience. Totally right. I mean, fundamentally, a lot of it is about having humility, right? Uh, and recognizing that, you know, you might think you're self-made, but you're not because nobody's self-made. Nope. Um, and, and, it's, and it's appreciating that you know, just just in plain terms, if 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 you if you're acting like a jerk, and you're justifying it because you get results, um, that's basically misunderstanding the job. The job is not to get results. The job is to get results while being kind. Anyone can get results. Just 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 trying to get results is too low a bar. It's like it's like bowling with bumpers, right? Yeah. Um, that's don't, you're being too easy on yourself if you just want to try to get results. You got to get results. And treat people well, um, and and I think I think the great leaders understand that, um, and and that's that's about having some humility. Oh, and I and I think to that point, one thing I want to want to bring up because I know um, critics of that idea will quickly try to jump in of this idea that there's a difference between being kind, being nice, and then also not holding people accountable, like it's actually kind of you nice of you to hold people accountable to a standard versus letting them get away with anything. And so I think that's where a lot of times people confuse of like, well, that like they look at somebody from a football perspective, a Nick Saban, well, he doesn't look like a very kind guy yelling at people on the sidelines, so, but his players love him because he's going to talk to him. He's going to have built relationship with them. He's going to have built trust. He's going to sit them down when they get out of line and say, Hey, listen, this is what you're jeopardizing. Here's what we want for you. The best for you. He actually cares about them. And so he's going to hold them to a standard and be nice in certain settings, even though public persona on the sideline in the middle of the game, they're like, well, he doesn't look like a nice guy. He's not kind. Totally. And I, and I draw distinctions in my mind, you know, nice and polite is not what I'm talking about. Um, kind is different to me. I mean, the kindest thing you can do is to give somebody direct feedback. The kindest thing you can do is to help somebody grow. Um, and that requires candor, Right. So what I was saying before, you know, an employee-focused organization is one where employees feel heard, valued, believed in, and inspired. How do you make somebody feel valued? 
you tell them the truth. Yeah. Right. How do you make someone feel believed in? You help them grow. And so to me, that's the ultimate form of kindness. It, it, it may not always be polite or nice in the sort of common sense of it, but um, I absolutely believe that those are fundamental aspects of, of leadership and, and improving and, and valuing the employee experience. I love that. So one of the things that's popular right now with employee experience that really has come out the last three years is the remote worker versus in-person, the work from home versus not. And for a while, it was like everybody was working from home, especially in major cities. And now there's a lot of organizations that are like, we're losing bits of our culture, like we need you back. And employees, a lot of younger ones especially, or pushing back on that. And so there's, there's a fine line between creating a great employee experience as well as creating the right culture within your walls that you want as a leader. And some organizations can thrive in a remote hybrid setting. Some cultures and leaders want everybody there to see, to touch, to bump into each other at the water cooler. So from a high level standpoint, because I know you study this, what are you seeing in terms of kind of this future? Because I don't think it's going anywhere. But for organizations that are adamant about in-person versus those that don't really care, is there a winner long-term or is it kind of to each their own if they create a great employee experience? It's really tricky. It's a great question. And I think that, you know, just the short answer is I think the future is hybrid. I think that, uh, and and more organizations are figuring this out. I think it, it makes no sense to abandon the office completely. There's a lot of value you get from that interaction. But I think some flexibility is in order. So we see most organizations having people come in two or three days a week um, and using the office for what it's good for, right? For the collaboration uh, and relationship building, for, for the kind of meetings where that makes sense. But you know, to, to commute into an office and sit there on Zoom in the office with people who are in a different office in a different city doesn't make any sense. So, so some kind of hybrid arrangement, I think, is where we will land and is the direction of travel. But I think a great learning from, from the pandemic in terms of remote work is, is not should we be in the office or should we be at home, but it's how can we change the office to be more humane? So for example, there's no reason that you know, taking breaks, uh, even significant you know, break times is incompatible with the office, right? There's no reason that someone can't work in an office and still be able to run an errand or even be able to work out, which sounds sort of crazy. But, but you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, modern buildings have gyms. You, you can work around it. You can allow people to have a reasonable, humane schedule to even pick up their kids if they have to. That doesn't mean they have to abandon the office, right? Yeah. So I think that's part of the solution, too, is how do we how do we get the value from the office without having it be the, the office of old where you had to come in at eight and you left at six? And you were on that whole time. I mean, that do, that doesn't even make sense from a human performance standpoint, right? Uh, not to not to have periods in there where you're where you're taking you know restorative breaks. So I think there's a lot we can learn from that perspective as as well. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's one of the uh, I thought that was one of the dogs as we were laughing about a minute ago. The uh, one of the things that I have to give a shout out to one of my clients uh, in Florida and Neil and the property force team is they have a gym in their offices and guys would use it. They would get off of a call. Maybe it was a frustrating call. They'd go over and like, I'm just going to do a few sets of something to like blow off a little steam reset or like, Hey, it's been a long day. I'm going to work out here before I go home. So I don't sit in traffic. Right. They created 
those opportunities for that. And to your point at home, it's like, we go on a walk around the neighborhood. We walk the dog, we get up, we move. We, although I think science said we actually worked longer hours when we worked from home than when we were in an office, because it was like, for a lot of people, they didn't know how to change space. It was like, right. you're at the kitchen table and then you're working in bed and then you're never having that disconnect, which led to a whole other issues from the employee engagement side. Right. When you, when you, when you, Work at home, you're always at work. Yep. Uh, and that could be difficult. The, the commute can be helpful to kind of decompress. But I totally agree. You can schedule in a workout. Look, I can work in the office and still schedule in a workout from two to three. It would just be like a call that I was having. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean I can't go into the office, but we're generally, you know, we don't accept that usually, right? So I think I think there's a lot we can learn to make the office more humane. I also personally am not a big fan of the kind of open plan you know, desk hoteling kind of situation. I think I think a personal space is yeah. really valuable for people. And I think that's one of the things people like about working from home um, is that you can have that personal space. So there's, there's a lot to learn, but the, but the short answer is I think the future is probably hybrid. Hybrid. So uh, along those lines, and I'm, I already almost lost my train of thought with it, but one of the questions I had for you with this is, you know, my parents' generation, our parents' generation, you pretty much had a job and you had it for life. Like sometimes you moved if there was a layoff or you had to move cities, you didn't want to move cities. But for a lot of the older generation, baby boomers, and so they were with the same companies forever. Younger generations, like they're moving every other year type deal. And I feel like there's probably a, a tension right now between the baby boomers and is it Gen Z that's next? I'm so off on my generations, but like our higher level ups, anyone's in those say mid forties up through their sixties that are in the higher levels of an organization disconnect between the years one to seven or eight who years one to seven or eight are always jumping. The older ones are used to more lifetime at this organization or loyalty as they'll say it. And there's gotta be a way from an employee engagement standpoint that we can do a better job of communicating the importance of investing in the people, even though they might leave investing in their experience, even though they might leave when it's almost to a point, it's like basketball free agency. Guys are going to jump. They're going to leave teams. They're going to bounce around. The guy that plays from his rookie year, 20 years later for the same team is almost never going to happen in most of today's jobs and industries. So how can we as leaders become at least more comfortable of that? and creating a space where at least people have the opportunity or would want to stay, even if they ultimately move around, because that creates an option for them to come back. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fundamentally, it's recognizing that, yeah, you're going to lose people who you've invested in. Absolutely. But you're also going to gain people that other people have invested in. Right. So, I mean, I think more or less, it's going to balance out. I really do. I think, frankly, the, the better option is, is, is when you can have people stay, uh, but you can give them new opportunities inside the organization. I think that's the ideal, right? And I appreciate that, you know, the kind of long-term employment of our parents or their parents is probably not realistic any longer. But to be moving every few years to me doesn't sound like an ideal circumstance either in most cases. I, yeah. think, I think all else being equal, I think most employees would rather stay. They just want to have fresh opportunities. They want to learn new things. And we should want that also. That's good for the business. Um, so it's 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 realizing that we need to be able to provide that, right? And and we can. And that's part of what it means to, to believe in employees, to believe in not only what they're doing now, but what they can do, 
right? Leaders need a vision, not just for the company, but for employees. You know, Joe is a, is a, is a salesman, but one day he could be a sales leader, right? I have that vision for him, right? Mary's a secretary, uh, but she could run operations one day, right? It's having a vision for employees, sometimes even more than they have for themselves, not just what they're doing now, but what they, what they can do in the future. Um, yeah. That, that's that, how you keep employees in my view. That's so incredibly important. And, and I want to hammer that. One of the things we talk about in one of my programs is like making sure not only people know what they need to do for their job, but like why it matters to the team. So they feel like valued, but how does it help them get to where they want to go? And to your point, even if they don't know where they want to go, helping them start to connect those dots is, is so crucial from the long-term play of it. Um, and, and I love how you echoed that because to your point at the beginning, valued, seen, heard, like that's, that's relationship one-on-one. Right. That's key. Right. Well, um, look, if you, you know, just sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, yeah. you know, pick up on that. If you think about it, I mean, if you don't feel heard, you don't have a valuable relationship with somebody, whether it's personal or professional. Like if you don't feel that you're heard, that there is no relationship. And so to me, that's why, you know, th that's where it really has to start. Right. And employees have to feel that they are heard. And then and then you can get on to, OK, and are they valued I and mean, do they feel inspired? And those are critical as well. But that's why feeling hurt is so foundational. So now that I, I've warmed you up with a ton of softballs that you've just nailed, I want to throw a curve at you. So for a lot of our leaders, we have a ton of CEOs that listen to this show, a ton of people at the top of the org chart or biz, small business owners. But we also have a lot of people who are early in their leadership career, or that mid-level manager. And try as they may, the culture is not the direction that is helpful or positive for the employee engagement and experience, but they themselves want to create a better employee experience. What advice do you have for peers, for individuals that aren't running the show and understand the, the overall company employee experience isn't great? How do you recommend they influence their direct sphere as a mid-level type manager when they can't control everyone, but they do at least have people that report to them or a team that they run? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's challenging, and I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, the first thing to recognize is that I, I think in general, we overemphasize the role of the manager in the employee experience. And that might be counterintuitive because a lot of people say, you know, you join you join companies, but you leave managers. Um, I don't think that's true. In my experience, uh, you know, you join companies and you leave companies. Um, you, you you and that's because managers exist in companies. Managers were hired by people at the company. They were trained by people at the company. They were rewarded by people at the company. You know, the manager to blame the manager is is sort of like you know. Uh, the last in a long line of dysfunction often. Uh, the manager is just, it's like blaming the, the waiter for a restaurant. It might be part of the problem, but there's also the food, uh, the prices, the location, yeah. the decor, you know. So, so, so one is I think we have to get out of this trap of focusing too heavily on the manager. Um, and what that means to flip it around to what you're saying is, is that the manager has to realize like, I can't do it alone. I have to get um, the support of organizational leaders, uh, because ultimately, I think most organizations are overly focused on managers and underfocused on on leaders. Um, so it's very hard to do it alone. Yeah, you can create a subculture for your group that's positive, but the reality is, if you're in that situation that you describe, I think you should be spending more 
of your effort looking up than looking down. In other words, trying to influence the people that you report to to drive change at a higher level, uh, because ultimately that's you know that's what what drives organizational culture is is that leadership level. So if I'm if I'm picking up based on our talk, the two of the most important things is obviously the organizations from a top level leadership is becoming very employee focused, then customer focused instead of look at me as the leader. And the second is really the role of creating and developing a development program within your organization to not only develop your managers into being managers, but develop them into leaders, develop the frontline people into leaders. And so they're thereby creating a constant culture of listening and development versus how do we push more widgets? Correct. Correct. And and I and I would continue on. So yes, listening to employees, absolutely. But then but then to move on from there, helping employees creating an environment in which employees not only feel heard, but feel valued, believed in, and inspired. So what does it mean to have an environment where employees feel valued? Well, for example, and it's, it is relationship one-on-one, -on -one, as you said earlier, telling them the truth, right? Being transparent with employees as much as possible. Um, that's how people feel valued, when, they're, when, when they feel like they're being told the truth. And that might sound like an obvious thing, but in a lot of organizations today, it's not so common. No, and and I want to jump in. There's a story. I don't know if you've heard about Jim Collins when from Good to Great. When he was the book came out, he was getting asked every other day to speak. And he got to a point, and I believe Ryan Holiday shared this, but he got to a point where he would only accept a keynote if the CEO and or C-suite would join him on stage afterwards to talk about how they were going to implement it in front of the entire company. So it wasn't a rah-rah, that sounds great. It was like, hey, we're going to be transparent here and you're either going to implement this or I'm not coming to support it because I have no time for that. I love it. I love it. I mean, the reality is, is that in most organizations, sadly today, if you start speaking the truth, you're going to make some people uncomfortable. That's the reality. Um, and, and usually it's people in corporate. You know, it's it's HR, it's legal, it's finance, it's senior execs, and uh, the more uncomfortable you make them, probably the 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 more you're on the right track. Um, and that's because the people in corporate, they don't they don't have a relationship with your employees, so for them it's an easy call. Don't you know say less, yep. right? Um, but you do have a relationship with your employees if you're a manager, and so you you've got to you've got to be truthful with people. Transparency is is almost always. The better option. Now, there's some cases where you're talking about, you know, personal information, you know, privacy, legal issues. Obviously, we have to be very careful about disclosure and things. But in general, we we need to be erring on the side of transparency way way more than than we are in most organizations today. And when you do that, people feel valued. Um, people people, and that's a key part of you know. Once they feel heard, they got to feel valued. And yep. a big part of that is telling them the truth, trusting them with the truth. Um, so, so that's the that's the second piece, and then the third piece is believed in, is acting in a way um, that employees feel like you believe in them even more than they believe in themselves. I had this line about you know great cultures are not cultures where employees believe in leaders; it's where leaders believe in employees, um, and that's just so critical um, for for employees to to have the conviction um, that that leaders are behind them. Yeah, because if if you don't feel supported, you just kind of are like, why would I even care about the job? It 
relates back into the disengagement, the quiet quitting. It's when you start to check out when you don't feel like what you do matters or anything of that mind, then you just kind of are out. Correct. And the, and the power of just belief alone is so amazing. And I know you know this because I've seen a lot of what you've written about too. There's this great study that I always reference from, I think it's the 1950s or 60s. It's quite old, but to me, that means it's enduring. Um, hey, listen, right. if it's, if it's, it's like perennial seller by, by holiday, like the older stuff is way better because if it's stuck, there's right. truth to it. Right. So this researcher at Harvard, his name was Bob Rosenthal, and he went into public school and he took, um, he, is, he gave students, public school students, some tests, some um, uh, academic psychological tests that he had devised. And he, as a result of those tests, he told the teachers that there was a subset of the kids who, based on his testing, were about to break out academically. And he gave them the names of those students. Um, and he came back a year later, and the students that he had identified and told the teachers about did, in fact, show tremendous academic gains. Now, the reality is the tests were completely bogus, and the students had been selected at random, purely random. The only difference between the students he identified and the other students were that the teachers believed they were going to break out academically. And this was done, you know, this was 70 years ago. Um, but this kind of thing has been replicated again and again. The power of belief is enormous, not just in a public school, but in the workplace. Um, because you start to act in a way that elicits that performance. That's why I say employees act how you lead them. If you want employees to be high performers, you lead them as high performers. You give them the vision, right? You give them the resources, and then you give them space, and you see what they can do. Um, so to me, that's that the power of belief is everything. So so making sure they feel heard, making sure they feel valued through the truth and then believed in is such a critical part of the puzzle. Dude, I absolutely love that and think that's a perfect way to wrap up today's conversation. Adam, you are a machine on LinkedIn. Uh, we have connected your profile here in the show notes. So for people that are interested more in this, you put out a post every day. You're super engaged on the platform, but it's all about employee engagement and then employee experience. And so anyone listening, I'm going to highly encourage you to connect with and follow Adam. Is there any other social media platforms you like to spend any time on? I am a total LinkedIn guy. I have respect for all, but for all platforms, but I've, I've dedicated my time to LinkedIn so I can have the biggest impact there. And that you do, my man. Thank you so much for taking time to join the show. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit CompeteEveryday.com.